0: There is still no House of Representatives seated in the United States of America. Today, Republican leader Kevin McCarthy lost three rounds of voting for speaker, bringing his total number of failed votes to six. This evening, the House was set to hold a seventh vote for speaker of the House. But within the past hour, the House voted to adjourn to close up shop for the night and come back tomorrow, because why not drag this thing out another day? Now, that vote to adjourn was on par with the rest of the chaos and confusion that has characterized this entire speaker debacle. A majority of Republicans voted to end the session and wait until tomorrow, while all Democrats voted to keep the session going. But since right now, neither party controls the House voting process, the whole vote turned into what what might politely be called a goat rodeo. There was yelling. There was running. There were arguments. There were cries of foul play mostly from Democrats, over the fact that several Republicans were allowed to change their votes after the clock ran out.
1: On this vote, the yeas are 216, the nays are 214. Accordingly, the motion is adopted. Accordingly, the House stands adjourned until noon tomorrow. In the
0: end, anti McCarthy Republicans, the never Kevin caucus, they sided with pro McCarthy Republicans in voting to adjourn and keep negotiating behind closed doors, which is a sign that the two sides could be making progress progress toward a deal to elect a speaker. But and this bears noting, even if there is some sort of progress in these negotiations, it really remains to be seen how Mr. McCarthy can overcome Just the staggering embarrassment, the string of failed votes, public humiliations, not to mention the very strong opposition that remains within his party and actually do the job that he so very desperately wants. Joining us now is Democratic Congressman Jamal Bowman of New York's 16th District. Congressman, thank you for making time. What a night. Can you you were there. What what just happened on the floor and how should we read the voting that 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 took place?
2: Well, first of all, welcome to my world. Uh, this is my second term and this is how I'm beginning my second term, which is actually better than the first term, which began with an insurrection. So I guess we're making progress. I guess. But it's, 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 it's chaos, uh, it's dysfunction. Uh, quite honestly, it's a clown show. And this is something we warned the American people about going into the general election. They don't care about governing, they don't care about leadership, they're not accepting of our country evolving into the multiracial, multicultural democracy that we are. The Republican Party has become the party of lies, of Trump, um, of QAnon, of MAGA, and of white supremacy. And Let me not say become, it's just becoming more public that this is who they are and they're being hijacked right now by the Freedom Caucus, which once a traditional, quote unquote, nativist approach to governing, which is white, patriarchal, hegemonic supremacy with women and LGBTQ people and people of color and everyone under their thumb with the continuation of the economic inequality that we see. So this is who they are. um, And we have to accept them for who they are. We have to make sure we vote their butts out of office in 2024.
0: Well, I'm not one to quote Jeb Bush, but he did call Trump, the chaos candidate. And in many ways, Trump ushered in this new era of chaos, and we're seeing it borne out acutely on the floor of the House of Representatives today. But the fact of the matter is, we don't have a House of Representatives, <laughs> and something's got to change. Are, do you, is it your sense that we are getting closer to a deal? I mean, a, Folks are reading something into the fact that some of the Never Kevin caucus has joined with the pro Kevin caucus on the vote to adjourn. Now, I know that seems like making a mountain out of a molehill, but a lot of votes in the House are symbolic. Do you see that as a sign that the two sides may be getting closer to a deal here on who can lead their caucus?
2: So that's a very good point, and I came to Washington as an optimistic person, but I'm becoming more pessimistic by the day. Uh, on the one hand, that can that can be a sign of progress, where the two sides are coming to a point where they are going to support a speaker, but that speaker may not be Kevin McCarthy. You know, we're hearing Steve Scalise, we are hearing other things. So McCarthy, it looks like, still has an uphill battle and may have to to step aside and make way for someone else to be speaker. Again, this is, you know, this is the reason why when I walk through my district and I go into communities that have been historically marginalized and left out of the political process, this is why they say Congress is corrupt Congress doesn't function. Y'all don't do anything for us. We are supposed to be figuring out a way to deal with the issue of inflation, to provide universal child care for people, to make sure everyone has a prevailing wage and a job, affordable housing, all of the aspects of the American dream that people are left away from. We are supposed to be figuring out how to do that. Instead, we are wasting. Days on choosing a speaker where they had months to negotiate where we should be at this time. So it's embarrassing to Kevin McCarthy. I don't know how he comes back from this, but it's embarrassing to the Republican Party. I mean, are you kidding me?
0: Wait, you know, to achieve those goals, Congress has to function. And I wonder from a Democratic point of view, in terms of working with someone else from the Republican Party who is going to be a leader who might, in some world, be able to negotiate with Democrats, would, would you rather see Kevin McCarthy or Steve Scalise holding the Speaker's gavel? Steve Scalise is more of a conservative than Kevin McCarthy, and look, I'm not trying to paint Kevin McCarthy as anything but a hardcore conservative, but Steve Scalise is to the right of him nonetheless. It, would that be a loss for Democrats if Scalise is the man who ends up being Speaker?
2: Steve Scalise apparently referred to himself himself as David Duke without the baggage. So, no, we do not want Steve Scalise at all. But Kevin McCarthy is not great either. And this is why even last uh, session, we really needed unity from the Democratic Party. Because guess what? And I don't want to, you know, bring this up again. But if we had democratic unity in the Senate, all of the things that I mentioned that were a part of Build Back Better, historic investments in affordable housing, universal child care, paid leave when the only developed country doesn't have it. If we had support from Senators Manchin and Sinema last session, we would have those things right now. And our division has weakened us and put us in a position now where we have to deal with Republican leadership. So, who's ever in leadership, if they're serious about governing, they have to do it in collaboration with us because Democrats still have the Senate and we have the White House. So, are we going to move the country forward together away from Trump and towards a vision of what we're capable of being? Or are we going to continue to play this circus theatrical game that's all about uh, uh, fundraising and corporate elites and oligarchs around the country? We'll see where we land. We know what the Republicans want to do. What's your over under
0: that this ends tomorrow? <laughs>
2: Uh, over over I'm going way over I don't I don't think this ends tomorrow at all Um, I was having a conversation with Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez and she says she thinks McCarthy is done and that was on the first vote today and now that I'm here standing with you late at night I'm thinking she may be right he he may be finished um, because I don't know I mean how many more concessions is he going to give He's already given so much. And at that point, you're going to have the Freedom Caucus uh, running the entire House and trying to run the country. And freedom to do what? Freedom to oppress the American people. We can't have it.
0: Congressman Jamal Bowman from the great state of New York, thank you for joining us on this historic evening in a historic week. Appreciate it. Thank you. Now let's bring in Washington Post congressional reporter Paul Kane. Paul, it is good to see you. Thank you for being here tonight as we try and make sense of what exactly is happening to our House of Representatives, where there are no representatives seated. Um, how do you read this? Jamal Bowman was talking pretty explicitly about Kevin McCarthy being done. Do you get the sense from your reporting, from what you know inside Congress, that that may actually be something that's on the horizon?
3: Well, you know, Alex, um the fact that he is still standing um after six very bad votes, it it, it gives him some level of hope, you know, that they had hoped earlier, you know, starting yesterday, that they would grow his vote and uh, and that they would shrink the number of opponents. And really, we've just hit a bit of just complete static. We're stuck on 20 to 21 who oppose him. They went through three rounds today, and that's what you got each time. And, you know, a lot of Groundhog Day jokes on uh, Twitter right now, the same day over and over again. But he is still standing. And what's more important is his allies spent the past 24 hours really going around, talking to these opponents, um, not Kevin McCarthy talking directly to them because they had reached a point where that would just have have been counterproductive. So you had... His allies talking to people about what do they actually want. And tonight they had some real meetings and real discussions. Um, and now they're gonna to need to keep doing that. Uh, can they get there? Are they gonna start with more votes tomorrow? That would just seem to be really odd and counterproductive. Um, but you know, he is still standing. Uh, It's weak and wobbly, you know, pick any one of your metaphors you want, with a boat taking on water, a boxer in a corner, but uh, he is still standing, which is kind of remarkable in and of itself.
0: Do you think, though—I mean, Steve Scalise—there was reporting that Steve Scalise's office was preparing for a potential event to eventually have to step in here, if it came to that. It sort of feels like that time might be now. Do you have any intel that this that, that Scalise is, you know, I won't say measuring the drapes because he would only do that no. with, with with McCarthy's uh, assent. But you know, to what degree is there a secession plan even in the works at this stage?
3: There, there really isn't, and and everybody in Scalise's world knows that his path to becoming the number one, his path to becoming Speaker is by staying loyal as a number two. If he looks like he is out there, you know, trying to to shove McCarthy off the boat, then it will look very bad on him and McCarthy's best friends won't want him to be the Speaker and he'll end up in the same situation where he can't get 218 from his own side. So he is going to play the loyal Lieutenant Um, Some people think he's not been outwardly publicly enough uh, loyal and and speaking out for uh, McCarthy, but he is not really doing anything. Should the moment come where McCarthy bows out, yes, Steve Scalise wants to be the speaker. And there are probably one or two people who have a plan ready to go, a break-the-glass plan that would be put into place But right now, those plans are just sort of sitting there on hold trying to see if they can get McCarthy across the finish line.
0: It's like Game of Thrones with super PACs. I mean, when we talk about the negotiations that are happening behind closed doors, I think a lot of people say, what is what is left to concede at this point? Right. We've we already sort of outlined some of the changes that the Freedom Caucus wants. It sounds like McCarthy gave in early with not without asking much in return. We now know, based on some reporting from Punchbowl, the, the Congressional Leadership Fund and the Club for Growth. Two Republican super PACs have come together in an agreement that seems to be moving the ball forward in these behind the scenes negotiations. Can you distill the essence of that agreement and what the impact will be on on the party and the sort of conservative wing of the party that seeks to gain more power within the GOP?
3: sure there were there were outside political allies of McCarthy who in recent campaign seasons would wade into Republican primaries and these were primaries in really safe Republican districts and they would try to throw a little bit of uh, a little bit of shade and support behind the more establishment friendly Republican in a primary to try to knock that person out to knock out the more sort of Matt Gaetz-style Republican out of the primary. And so that became a, a big sticking point. And some of the Freedom Caucus people have been very angry about that. And it's, it's very tricky legal terrain there. You really can't as members of Congress, tell independent super PACs what they can and can't do. Um, they got to be very tricky on how they word these things. But by agreeing to not sort of go into those primaries in these safe Republican districts, they're trying to basically tell the Freedom Caucus types, look, we're going to stay out of this. It'll be a fair fight. Your candidates versus our candidates in these safe Republican districts. And they think that might flip a few votes McCarthy's way.
0: So just to be clear, what they the changes we're talking about, that the 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 agreements that are being hashed out by outside super PACs in terms of how to speak how to how to choose a speaker of the house, which on its face seems like something that's not really legally supposed to happen, nonetheless, could make it easier for the Andy Biggs and the Paul Gosars and the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world to gain entry into Congress in terms of the primary process and the the elections process. In addition to that change, we're talking about rules changes that would allow committees to defund federal agencies, that would gut the Congressional Ethics Committee. I mean, these are big changes, very controversial changes. And it sounds like, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, no matter who the speaker is, that person is going to have to agree to these changes that Kevin McCarthy worked out. So, this stuff is going to happen no matter who is ultimately chosen. Is that right? I,
3: I think it's going to be really hard. And if you get into a situation where Kevin McCarthy bows out um, and Scalise you know, becomes the de facto uh, frontrunner, it's going to be really hard for him to get 218 votes if he just says, oh, no, I'm going to tear up that agreement that you guys had with McCarthy. I think you're going to have a situation where they are going to say, these are our terms, and don't—it's—it's it's not your fault that Kevin agreed to these terms, but you got to live by them if you want to get that gavel. So yeah, I think you're going to look. The objective here, in a lot of ways, that what these Freedom Caucus types are doing uh, is to try to make the Speaker position as weak as possible. They want to make that person not have much power, and that would make life easier for them. That's what they're really trying to accomplish here.
0: Weaken the speakership and embolden the insurgency. That's what's happening here in America. House of Representatives, January whatever day it is, 2023. Washington Post (laughs) congressional reporter Paul Kane, thank you for your time and your reporting tonight. Thanks, Alex. We have lots more to come tonight, including the latest on the House Democrat strategy as the Republican Party fractures around them. Plus, what all this chaos among congressional Republicans means for the de facto leader of their party. That is all ahead.
4: Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app, get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com app to download.
2: It's embarrassing for the country to be able to have a Congress that can't function is just embarrassing. We're the greatest nation in the world. How can that be?
0: Embarrassment. That has been the takeaway for many Democrats watching the ongoing debacle on the House floor. The Democrats are the minority party in the House, but they are also the only party that seems ready to govern, which makes the Republicans' inability to pick a speaker particularly galling. Again today, the 118th Congress voted multiple times to elect a speaker of the House. And again today, they failed. The Republican House majority could not get Kevin McCarthy, 218 votes he needs to become the next speaker, with only 201 members of his conference casting votes for him. One member voted present, and 20 others voted for Republican Congressman from Florida, Byron Donalds. The word embarrassing seems appropriate. On the other hand, on the other hand, this was the view on the other side of the aisle for the last 24 hours. The six times the chair of the Democratic caucus nominated Hakeem Jeffries for speaker. Every single time, all 212 House Democrats voted for Jeffries, with not one of them wavering or defecting. Despite that show of unity and the hefty amount of political capital that gives leader Jeffries, the country still has no members of Congress right now. Not one has been sworn in. No one has been seated. So for the unified Democrats in the House, what's the end game here? How do they work around the dysfunction of the House Republicans so that the 118th Congress is seated and ready to actually govern? Joining us now is Claire McCaskill, former U.S. Senator from Missouri and an MSNBC analyst. Claire, thank you for being here tonight. Uh, There's really (laughs) I what what is the word that you have to describe what is happening here in Congress?
6: Well, it's a chaotic clown show of incompetence and it is um, in full view of the American people. Keep in mind, Alex, that what happened over the dinner break that makes McCarthy think he still has a chance is there was a deal cut in a back room about money. Yeah. I mean, the American people need to understand that they went in a back room and I'm not even sure if it was done legally. And decided that Kevin McCarthy's pack would make an oath to never oppose a sitting member of Congress, no matter how crazy they are.
0: And so and, yeah. it
6: is. Um, and that's about money. That's just about money. So if if people think these guys are trying to clean the swamp, then why is his progress towards the speakership all about a backroom deal over money? And it's beyond embarrassing, if embarrassing doesn't even cover it, that the only victory the new majority has had in the first two days of power is they managed by two votes to adjourn. Yeah, that that is about as bad as it gets. That's worse than
0: the high school student council meetings when we were arguing about chili suppers. I mean, it is embarrassing. (laughs) I think another word might be pathetic as well, that that's their big accomplishment. Not being able to seat the Congress, just being able to agree to go home. How do Democrats, I mean, how should Democrats be thinking about this moment? Because certainly there's been the short-term gratification of watching the chickens come home to roost, right? A lot of people look at this and say, this is the party the GOP has been building for a decade. Congratulations. This is your, this is your prize. On the other hand, there's the long-term reality and the medium-term reality. This is the government that we have. If Democrats want to get anything done, they're going to have to find a way to work with a party that has no center, that has no moral, ethical governing platform, and no leadership. So, you know, if you were still in Congress, how would you be thinking about, you know, your, your governing strategy going forward?
6: Well, first, the Senate is going to be able to be very productive, uh, secondly, if the House isn't, then the House needs to keep doing what they've done so brilliantly the last two days. And that is you patch over the the differences you have and you celebrate the vast majority of things that you believe in and agree on. And that's what they need to keep doing, because the other side is all about petty political posturing and trying to be important and get on some bogus pretend propaganda news show Uh, You know, it is really a stark contrast right now. So I think they just need to keep doing what they've been doing, messaging cleanly about what they want to get done by the bills they pass in the Senate, by the challenges they make to the Republican Party. I don't know how this ends. Uh, I I frankly don't see a way for McCarthy. I mean, we've got five members who have said they're hard-nosed forever. Well, he can't be speaker if there's five hard-nosed forever. So, you know, that means it's got to be somebody else. I guess there's an outside chance of some kind of coalition with the Democrats. I think it's more likely they'll reach down into the membership and find someone who is more appealable to the Freedom Caucus, but is not part of the current leadership so they can avoid the argument that these wackos are making about they don't want the status quo.
0: I wonder if you do have some unknown, relatively fresh face leading the Republican majority in the House, whether that kind of weak hand holding the gavel affords a greater opportunity for moderate Republicans to peel away and join Democrats on precisely that legislation that you talk about that has widespread popular support that could play well in swing districts. I mean, is there an opportunity here with a weak speaker to actually maybe get things done, or am I being overly optimistic?
6: I don't think so, because, you know, everybody has to remember, unlike the Senate, House members run every two years. And if you're in a swing district in the House, that means you're constantly campaigning and constantly worried about the next election. So if you are a Republican from a Biden district, you will be looking for those moments where you can vote for something like infrastructure, like a bill that is widely supported by most Americans. Um, to break away from what now has become clearly the party of the ex- that's been hijacked by the extremes. I mean, a lot of those Republicans barely held on this time, and a lot of the Democrats that are in more Republican districts ended up succeeding when nobody thought they would. So I think the Democratic Party was pretty forgiving for some of those folks to have to break away every once in a while. I don't know how forgiving the Republican Party would be for moderate members who feel the need to to break away every once in a while. But it wouldn't surprise me to see it. Were
0: you speaking of surprises? Have you been at all surprised? At the rock ribbed uh, unity among Democrats in the House, I mean, we played that six box of uh, Aguilar nominating Jeffries for Speaker of the House six times and getting unanimous votes from the caucus. Has that has that been a surprise to you?
6: It really hasn't. I mean, if you look at the table that was set by Nancy Pelosi. And even in the Senate, I know it's easy to get upset about the filibuster and get very upset about some of the more progressive values we hold that we wanted to get across the finish line, particularly things like codifying Roe v. Wade and making sure our elections are safe and secure. On the other hand, we got a lot done with bare majorities in the last two years. We got a whole list of things that are very important to Americans so that was really because our leaders were principled and kept everybody together on on those issues that there was wide agreement on. And we uh, the Democrats did very, very well at, because of it. I think they will continue to do that, particularly in the Senate and set that table. And I think they're going to stay unified in the House because they now see in full display mm. what happens if you don't manage to stay unified.
0: What a study in contrasts. Claire McCaskill, one of my absolute favorite people to talk with, period, but especially in moments like this, former U.S. Senator from the great state of Missouri. Thank you for your time, Claire, as always. You bet, Alex. We have a lot more to get to tonight as President Biden showcases what happens when government actually gets stuff done. Ooh, look at that. As that is happening, Trump is trying to get House Republicans to, quote, close the deal for Kevin McCarthy. Hmm. What all this chaos means for Trump and the MAGA movement is coming up next. a second, it seemed like Donald Trump was about to sit this one out. He had endorsed Congressman Kevin McCarthy for House Speaker back in December. But after three losing votes on Tuesday, Trump started to sound like a guy with cold feet. He told NBC News last night, quote, I got everybody calling wanting my support. That's that's all I can say. But we'll see what happens. We'll see how it all works out. Now, sometime between Trump's Kevin who I got everybody calling me and sunrise this morning, Donald Trump had a change of heart. And he released this effusive post on Truth Social. Trump said that some, quote, really good conversations had taken place and that it was time to vote for Kevin, close the deal, take the victory. Three consecutive failed votes this afternoon have now shown that Trump's plea to, quote, close the deal has fallen on deaf ears. One of the House members leading the opposition to McCarthy, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert of Colorado, made it quite clear that whatever sway Trump thought he had It wasn't doing much of anything.
5: Let's stop with the campaign smears and tactics to get people to turn against us. Even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off. I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw.
0: And there you have it. Members of the MAGA movement who ran on an ideology that Trump himself perfected have decided he's a non-factor in the Republican Party that Trump fashioned in his own image as they hold the House hostage. Joining us now is Charlie Sykes, editor at large of The Bulwark. Charlie, thank you for being here tonight. I know you have a lot of thoughts on this topic. Trump's power within the party. Are we finally seeing something here in terms of the the real honest to goodness diminishment of a man who so desperately wants to be king of the GOP.
1: I think we are seeing something, um, you know, and, and, and again, I, I always caution against uh, wish casting. I've been through this too often not to have a little bit of PTSD. But there's no question about it that Donald Trump is a dramatically diminished figure. Now, he's not irrelevant, um, but his power is is limited. He could he could have destroyed Kevin McCarthy, but he's apparently powerless to save him. And I think that that was that's what made that that scene that that uh, that scene that you just played so extraordinary. Um, he he put out this statement and managed to move not a single vote. This was the lowest hanging fruit in the MAGAverse. These were all Trumpists, uh, Trump supporters, uh, hardcore loyalists, and not one of them felt the need. To change his vote because of what Donald Trump had to say, and apparently he's been on the phone for some time. And many of them have figured out that the way to deflect it is to just, uh, you know, hit him with the usual flattery. Say, you know, Mr. President, you ought to be Speaker, not 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 Kevin. And apparently it's worked to deflect him. Now we'll see what happens tomorrow. I mean, it is possible that uh, that Kevin McCarthy might pull this out. But what I think is pretty obvious is that if he pulls it out, it won't be because Donald Trump has the clout that he used to have. I mean, and again, I do think it's important to realize. He's not irrelevant. He can destroy, but he cannot save Kevin McCarthy. And I think this is really interesting to see, you know, the the way in which um, his power has sort of, le- you know, leached away. He's he's been unable to he's been unable to clear the field after he announced his presidential campaign. Uh, he is not um, he has not driven out any other candidates. You have Mitch McConnell, who's basically flipping him off by appearing with Joe Biden today. Last week, he he railed against the, the vote on the one point seven trillion dollar omnibus bill. And Senate Republicans just completely ignored him. So uh, we're in a new world in which a lot of Republicans think that it is completely safe to ignore him. And to hear Lauren Boebert explain uh, Mm. why she was blowing him off on the floor of the House was really quite an inflection point, I thought.
0: Yeah, I'm getting strong old man sitting on his front porch yelling at passersby energy from the Trump's latest latest missives. But it does bring, you know, there is still the unanswered question of where does the center of gravity in the GOP lie, right? I mean, you make—I think this is worth revisiting. You made a point earlier today. Here's a quick overview of the devolution of the Republican Party. Eric Kanner was defeated in the primary— Paul Ryan flamed out under Trump, and Kevin McCarthy just became the first party leader to lose a floor vote for speaker in 100 years. These guys were once the party's future. Now they're just footnotes and roadkill. But this also suggests that the problem isn't just Kevin McCarthy and his burn-it-all-down critics. It's systemic. I mean, what are the implications for the broader GOP here? I mean, they they, can't—they have Trump, who's a nihilist— they have the young guns who right. were supposed to be the, right. you know, the. They're all wearing matching white button downs and ready to lead us into a brave conservative future. They're roadkill now. Who's left? I mean, what does it look like to lead this party?
1: Okay, well, this is. I'm really glad you asked me this because, you know, I I think it is a fundamental error to to think that what you're seeing here is a group of crazies versus the normies, or a, a group of insurgents uh, who are. Ah, uh, you know, w- waging war against the, the Republican establishment. There is no Republican establishment. There are no normies. Keep in mind that if Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker, or somebody else like Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker, they will be empowering Marjorie Taylor Greene. They will be riding um, the coattails of dozens of 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 election deniers. Um, they will rely on the vote of people like George Santos. Look. Uh, You know, whatever happens here, and I'm not saying that that it's irrelevant, but whoever becomes um, whoever becomes the speaker is going to preside over the chaos that has been building for years. He's going to be he or she is going to be the mayor of crazy town here. And this House, this House Republican caucus will continue the way it began. I think that as you watch what's happening right now. It may be amusing, it may be entertaining, but it's also going to be dangerous It because uh, what you're seeing in their inability to get even the most basic things done will play out on issue after issue including raising the debt ceiling, um, e- engaging in the, in the basic business of, of governance. So to your larger point, no, this is not just about Kevin McCarthy. This is about a party that has been just overwhelmed by the kinds of people who have been enabled, um, and uh, and and promoted by people like Donald Trump, people who are much more concerned about getting uh, clicks, being able to uh, go on social media, um, get love from Tucker Carlson uh, and feed that perpetual outrage machine here. So um, and and as Kevin McCarthy and uh, whoever else might be speaker continues to make concession after concession, what they're doing is they are uh, you know, continuing to empower exactly the kinds of grifters and extremists and crazies um, that have brought us to this particular moment. So yeah. however bad it is right now, it's going to get worse.
0: A dose of optimism. They know it, too, I'll say. Dan Crenshaw said, what about them as more conservative? We have the same effing scores that they do. And he's one of the pro Kevin guys. Charlie Sykes, editor at large of The Bulwark. Thanks, as always. Thanks for your wisdom, Charlie. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. When we come back, what President Biden is making of the mess right now in Congress. Stay with us.
4: I know that when Senator McConnell visited the closed bridge in Kentucky, he said that roads and bridges are not partisan in Washington. That's great. Mr. McConnell, help us rebuild this bridge.
0: That was President Obama more than a decade ago trying to rally support for Congress to fix this bridge, the Brent Spence Bridge that runs between Ohio and Kentucky. It was built in the 1960s to support about 80,000 cars crossing it a day. Today, it averages more than 180,000 cars a day. An estimated 3% of our country's entire GDP crosses that bridge every year. For more than 20 years now, expanding the capacity of this bridge has been a top priority of local leaders all the way up to presidents. But they haven't gotten it done. And given how this bridge is one of the major economic arteries for Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell state, this bridge has always been a symbol of not just literal gridlock, but of partisan gridlock in Washington. That is until today. This is President Biden this afternoon with Republican Senate Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, Democratic Senator from Ohio Sherrod Brown, former Republican Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, Republican Governor Mike DeWine of Ohio and Democratic Governor Andy Beshear of Kentucky. They're celebrating the massive $1.6 billion in federal funding they secured to finally expand that bridge as part of the bipartisan infrastructure law passed in 2021. Now, that would be sort of an amazing bipartisan feat to celebrate any day, but it is an especially sharp contrast to what we are seeing play out in Congress right now, where after two days and six rounds of voting, Republicans have yet to elect someone to lead their majority. Joining us now is Michelle Goldberg, opinion columnist for The New York Times. Thank you for being with us, Michelle. Thank you. As we look at the study in contrast between Mitch McConnell. (laughs) Now, listen, Kevin McCarthy did not get the margin he wanted in terms of a majority in the House. Right. A lot of people are mad about that. Mitch McConnell actually lost, gave, lost, gave the Democrats an extra seat but his leadership election was a pro forma exercise for all intents and purposes
5: well and I think people fe- you know nobody fears Kevin McCarthy people fear Mitch McConnell I mean just this stunt today you would imagine that there are so many Republicans who could not get away with shaking Joe Biden's hand on the day of massive Republican chaos I can't remember who it was but there was someone in during the Obama years who basically lost their oh it's Chris Christie right who they yes. never forgave yes. him for for shaking Obama's after or for hugging him after, after, after a hurricane. massive hurricane that and so, destroyed parts of his state. Right. And so, I I mean, I may be reading too much into this, but there it does seem to be sort of McConnell, like, flouting his defiance of the rabid faction that is able to make so many other Republicans kind of dance to their tune.
0: Well, it just it, it's shaming Kevin McCarthy in a way, right, who can't get—it's <laughs> like a victory when they vote to go to dinner and, and they're all in a line. Um, let's talk about Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy. McCarthy and what a just miserable job he has done in terms of managing his own caucus. You point out in the best titled piece in America, in American (laughs) press today, leopards eat Kevin McCarthy's face. Do we have it? Yeah. Okay. And that goes to the Twitter meme. I never they're proving to the country that they're just destructionists. Speaking of the House Freedom Caucus, I never thought it was the embodiment of the Twitter meme. I never thought leopards would eat my face. Sobs woman who voted for the leopards eating people's faces party. I mean, this was what they were always going to do, was it not? Exactly. Not not just what
5: they were always going to do, what the people whose careers Kevin McCarthy has nurtured since, you know, since since the Obama years were always going to do. Right. Kevin McCarthy brought so many of these Tea Party people, you know, recruited so many of these Tea Party candidates into, into Congress. He, you know, kind of nurtured this spirit of obstructionist nihilism. He nurtured Trumpism. He, you know, hitched his wagon. I mean, imagine being a grown adult who doesn't feel completely degraded and emasculated by the nickname, my My Kevin, Kevin. right? Who kind of embraces that. It's, you know, it's just astonishing, this kind of groveling, this weakness. And it's a weakness that I think everybody, no matter what their ideological position senses, right? Like the, these kind of 20 crazy people are not wrong to think that, That Kevin McCarthy has no backbone or principles.
0: This is a man whose life was threatened on January 6th, making urgent calls to the president saying, effectively, I'm really worried I'm going to get killed. I'm really scared. And the president effectively saying, well, I guess the people who are trying to kill you just care more about a fraudulent election than you do, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Really basically saying, like, you can die. Right. And then weeks later, Kevin McCarthy is the one that goes to kiss the ring down at Mar-a-Lago. Right. And this is
5: kind of what he guessed showed the that. world that. Yeah. I think that you know, I think that what he did you know, he's been trying to kind of show that the far right that they're that he's one of them, but what he's really showed them is just that they can push him around without consequences. Uh, you make
0: the point that, you know, the, you, and you bring up the great reporting from Robert Draper, that this is kind of his management style has, has also exacerbated this, right? McCarthy's more entrepreneurial approach to politics, this is what Draper is reporting, to seize upon a trend, in this case, government phobia, put all your money on it, and then work hard to make the trend last. He got yeah. in bed with this anti-government zealotry because it was politically convenient. It was a brand he thought he could get behind. And And it is turned around and effectively destroyed the thing he wants most in the world.
5: I mean, I just feel like it's very rare, not just in politics, but in kind of any story I can think of to see karma play out so neatly, right? I mean, this is just, you know, this is just cosmic justice as, um, you know, as, as kind of grim as it might be for the country to see a man deal with the devil blow up in his face so spectacularly. Well, it's
0: strange to me that he made so many concessions to this group of people without a- apparently asking for literally anything in return. Right. Well,
5: that's what's, you know, and that's kind of what puts the Republican Party obviously in such a bad spot even if he steps aside because those concessions cannot be um done back if um right if they get another if they get another candidate. But it's also, I mean, the concessions all they've kind of done is reinforce the perception of his weakness and led this this um click to kind of move the goalposts.
0: He and he has so soiled the office with these concessions that it makes well, it it's almost a weakless. It, it, it's kind of a worthless
5: um, gavel. job at this point, because he's already shown that he can't lead. He's already shown that he can be defenestrated at any moment. And so, A, he can't kind of make
0: deals on behalf of the caucus, but he also just can't govern. Ugh. Kevin McCarthy and the saga continues. <laughs> Michelle Goldberg, columnist for The New York Times. Always great to see Thank you. you. Thanks for your time tonight. That's all we got tonight. We'll see you again tomorrow.